Welcome to Predator Radio, your exclusive podcast channel for everything predator hunting related. Predator Radio is brought to us today by our sponsor, Predator Precision. Predator Precision offers a full line of thermal and night vision optics, as well as thermal accessories. Check them out on the web at www.predatorprecision.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Predator Radio. For today's episode, we have Colt Minton on the line. Colt, you with us? I'm with you, man. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. So the reason I wanted to bring you on, Colt, is I wanted to do an episode on tournaments and preparing for tournaments, what all goes into it, kind of for two reasons. One, I think a lot of people um, don't understand how a tournament works and how much kind of work goes into preparing for it. And then the other side of that coin is there's a lot of people that want to get into tournaments and I think don't really know what the first step is or how to go about it and afraid they're not going to kind of get everything together. So first, can you kind of introduce yourself to everybody? Um, most of us that, that have been in this a while obviously know who you are. Your name is very prominent in the predator hunting community. But for the for the newer people, can you kind of introduce yourself, explain your background, and kind of how we all got to know you? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm a Colt Minton. Grew up in East Tennessee. Pretty much started predator hunting at a young age, just basically to help the farmers out. And uh, nobody around here really done it. Everybody. Uh, turkey hunted and deer hunted but nobody really knew how to call coyotes so it turned out just kind of something i done on my own and it's grew to be pretty big and turned out to turned out to be fairly successful well, killing you, them you obviously <laughs> got good at it what part of tennessee are you in eastern or western i'm actually in jeff uh east tennessee just uh just above uh, gatlinburg okay so you're not in the flat part you're in the hills We've got a little bit of both. It's it's kind of a, a mix of, of both rolling hills pretty much. Okay. And then so how so you, you obviously started when you were young, kind of worked your way up. How did you get uh you know, you're 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 on with uh, Thermal Optics Plus, which is a, a big name in in the equipment arena, uh DNA firearms, MFK game calls, which everybody knows who they are. How did you kind of get to where you are? I mean, obviously through success, but kind of walk us through um, how, how you got to where you are. I met uh, – I actually uh, met the MFK guys at NWTF in Nashville in 2014 or 15. Uh, Dave and Tori was leaned up on the counter, and uh, Dave, Dave made some uh, – some smart smart remark to my wife about how I needed to buy her a shirt or, or something. You know how, how Dave's <laughs> always going on. But uh, I, I got to talking to the guys and bought a couple calls and uh, really like them. I never really ran diaphragms for coats and just got to talking to Tori back and forth. And uh, it become a yearly thing and uh, went down and hunted with him several times. And Gage, my sons, went down and Tori really took up with Gage. So, uh, we filmed several hunts and pretty much just fit in, man. And That's awesome. everybody on MFK is just kind of like brothers. So, uh, 
it, it's worked out well. That's awesome. And then uh, I assume you run some gear for th- from Thermal Optics Plus. Yeah, Cameron. Uh, I've been with Cameron for going on two and a half years now. Uh, super good dude, man. I basically just met him through Facebook, and uh, I always day hunted. You know, which Tennessee you're not even allowed to not hunt. So uh, I always day hunted growing up, and talked to Cameron and. He said, man, if you'd like to start hunting some of these tournaments and start going out of town doing some stuff, I'd be interested in doing something with you. So we we worked out something, and he's a really good dude, too. He's took care of me. so Absolutely, yeah. He's helped me out a bunch, too. Yeah. Well, neat. So I to, to back up a little bit before tournaments, I and I think I talked about in one of my previous episodes, um, I, I think there's a few different classifications for, for guys that, that predator hunt um i i always kind of broke it down into the tournament hunter uh the hobby hunter and the farmer and and they all kind of have their their separate their separate reasons um focusing on the the tournament hunter i i've i've only done a few tournaments myself i did the eastern this uh, past year and unfortunately as it usually goes weather didn't cooperate same as the year before at least here in ohio right but uh i i think a lot of people are reluctant to get into tournaments because they think man i'm, I'm gonna enter it and it's I, I just i can't compete with the guys that are putting up big numbers and this and that so i think one of the biggest things that helps is knowing how how to prepare for the tournament so i think one of the biggest uh, there's a bunch of hurdles but one of the biggest hurdles is having enough ground can you kind of go through what you do to leading up to the tournament as far as uh, like for instance the eastern and in uh i started planning my stuff my ground for that in october of the year before and i probably went out once right. a week lining up ground um and can you kind of get into the, I know we'll get into it later, but the numbers game, like, you know, mathematical, how long your stand stands, how many, give an idea, a people idea how many stands they need to line up when they're getting ground and how to go about getting ground. The easiest way I can say is just get as much ground as you possibly can. And when you think you have enough, you need two times that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it, it really does take a lot, and, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot goes into getting it. You know, we, we have some ground that we shoot pigs on for farmers that let us coyote hunt. We have some ground we pay money for, uh, some ground we own. You know, it's just, there's several different ways. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just driving and knocking on doors, you know. Right. Just just, just talking to people. It's a... Uh, you may go to 10 places and get a no whatever one. And then the, the next 10 may be sure, you know? Yeah. So for a tournament, say a person was entering a tournament for the first time, obviously preference would be to have fresh ground or a ground that has not been called on a lot. Right. Say it's a two night tournament. How many stands would you suggest someone have lined up for a two night tournament? We usually have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. You know, how many stands you get to make, that 
it really depends on if you have, you know, coyotes come in the first 30 seconds and you kill them. Right. You shoot one 500 yards across a field, you have to take an hour to get him. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to put a number on stands, but I would probably say, you know, 30 a night maybe. Yeah. That makes uh, sense. That's quite what, a bit. That's what we tried. I was trying to rule a thumb. I was trying to do hope for four an hour. And I, right. know, I know with drive time, setup, breakdown, that's pushing it. But I always tell people, if you can if you can plan on four stands an hour, um, you probably have enough. But that's, you know, 24 a, a night. That's that's 48 stands for a tournament. So, yeah. But I think it gives people an idea of best case scenario, how much work it's going to take to line up 48 stands to get through two nights. Right. And, and you're right. probably not going to need it, especially if you have, uh, you know, bad weather or something. You know, f- for me, I I only got through maybe 20 of my stands for the Eastern, but then I had a whole bunch mm-hmm. of good hunting land li- lined up for the, the month or two after that. But right, right. I, I was surprised how quick, how quick we burned through it. Um, we usually, uh, we usually try to make our stands 10 to 12, 13 minutes during the tournaments. Okay. If they're not there in 13 minutes, we're gone. Uh, we've, we've kind of got the more stands we make, the better off we are type mentality instead of spending, you know, 45 minutes on a stand to kill one cow, we would rather make three stands, uh, you know, and have an opportunity at a double or triple or whatever, but. Right. And that kind of brings up a good point. It, it really changes your hunting style too, doesn't it? I mean, I, oh, I, yeah, I don't know totally how you hunt different. normally, but I, I try to spend 30 minutes on a stand when I'm hunting just for pleasure, but it seems like these tournaments are, know, for me being kind of newer to term, kind of stressful. Like it's a, it's a rat race uh, it, against the clock. It really is. It really is. It, I mean, to be honest with you, the competitive part of you <clears throat> makes you love it, but, it, it it's really not fun. I mean, right. it, 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 it yep. takes the fun out of it. You with with staying up and stress and trying to plan everything. It, it really it, it can get stressful, you know. And there's a lot of guys that have done a whole lot more tournaments than I have. Uh, but you know, I, I feel like most of them will agree with what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of those kind of blunt truths that's hard to kind of put out there. Is you know, people say, "Oh, you know, I love doing tournaments." Well. I mean, if you've done many of them, the, you know, like I say, the competitive part, you know, showing up at check-in afterwards is a lot of fun, but the actual three o'clock in the morning and running on your eighth cup of coffee and trying to yeah. race against the, the clock. And, you know, I run a, a GPS mapping program, you know, on a tablet in my truck, trying to navigate, playing the next stand while I'm getting out at the previous one. And yeah. Right. So... <clears throat> Do you usually hunt with the same people? Like, tell me about, uh, uh, you know, having kind of the importance of having good hunting partners, um, kind of having some experience with them, knowing what they're going to do, um, you know, that type of thing. Man, that's key. I mean, the, other than having good dirt, that's probably one of the main things. You you have to have good partners that you work good with, Uh I, I've been really fortunate. I, I've got several guys that, that I hunt, you know, different tournaments depending on what state with, and we just we just click. We we hunt good together. We kind of know what each other's going to do, and 
that means a lot because when there's confusion, nothing goes right. So you you really have to uh, you have to get along good with those guys, man. I I do have the same group. Uh, I hunt the Eastern where Curtis French, me and him grew up together hunting around here forever. Uh, fished our whole lives. And uh, Chris Smith out of Georgia. Chris is a super good dude. I've hunted with Chris for several years now, and he's just one of those guys, man. He does tons of homework. Uh, him and Ryan Higgins both, they, they really played a big role this year in the Eastern with, with doing the homework on the coyotes, you know. And I'm nine hours away from where we hunted, and I went down several times, but it's really hard to to do what he done every evening when he got off work, you know. Right. So, uh, Stephen Davis and Doug Myers hunted the, uh, Carolina classic with those guys. Same, same deal, man. We just click, we run really well together and two and a half nights at that classic, man. That's a, that's a marathon. I'm telling you to wear <laughs> on you. And, uh, now did you do day hunting it, it, too, or did you just, <clears throat> uh, yeah, during the Eastern, we made a few day stands. We killed one coyote, uh, the first, the first day, uh, actually the second day, uh, but we had a really strong night. You know, we killed, I believe it was 18 the first night. So we was, we Man. felt pretty, pretty confident. We didn't have to make many day stands, but if it's slow, you know, we always pound the daytime just to get it two or three extra if you can, cause those are bonuses. Sure. Uh, but we had good nights, so we, we didn't have to, uh, we got to sleep a little bit during the day. Right. So kind of touching on the, on having your partner set up. I mean, what things, so I, I hunt by myself a lot. Um, I do have uh-huh. like two people that I hunt with on a regular basis. And, and like you said, we just, we just kind of mesh, but some things that people might want to consider, um, like for the planning, like synchronized shooting, when you do your countdown, when, <laughs> when you're going to shoot, kind of moving around each other can you kind of explain how you i mean obviously somebody that like you guys that have hunted together um it just kind of works but can you walk people through stuff what they need to you know communication on the stand moving when you're set up um you know does the same person call all the time like can you kind of run through what somebody needs to have be on the same page as their partner. Yeah, we uh you know, we just talk about it. Like I said, we practice in the off season with, you know, pig hunts or coyote hunts, but everybody's different. Everybody likes different stuff. The countdown, you know, I've got a couple guys you can do the countdown with. It works. Uh we usually pick if there's three of us hunting, you know, there's a pair comes in, two of you shoot. You know, if somebody's having a bad night and it happens, you know, you may say, okay, you two shoot and I'll pick up the runners or, or vice versa. You know, it's a, I don't really like the countdown as good. Uh, I, I I run a Tim or a trigger tech two stage and I just as soon pull it out of mine to the first stage, second stage and, uh, let my buddy shoot and shoot on them. And I've been pretty successful with that. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's really just personal preference, you know, whatever you all like and whatever y'all do best together. 
Right. Well, neat. Yeah, because I always feel like whoever's counting down, that person kind of gets screwed a little bit. Right. Versus right. who's listening and can control their breathing and, you know, that type of thing. Right. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good and, tip. As far as the call goes, you know, we switch off, uh, you know, who, who's running the call. I think during the Eastern and the Classic both, uh, me and Chris switched off during the uh, the Eastern about probably 50-50. And uh, during the Classic, man, Stephen, he was a trooper. He run the call, I think, all but maybe four stands. I may have run four stands other than just running diaphragms. So it's just personal preference, you know. A lot of times those guys are more familiar with their ground where they live there so uh you know let let them run their thing and if it's not working we'll uh we'll switch out and let somebody else run it cool so let's talk about gear a little bit um i I know gear is somewhat proportionate to budget but kind of the importance of having good gear um runs through kind of your setup as far as gun tripod um you know, what you use as far as scanner and scope, your call, kind of run us through your gear and okay. and some options on uh, maybe people that can't use the higher end gear, you know, what's important, you know, if a scanner is more important than your scope or kind of run us through your gear and, and what you can help people with on that. Yeah, man, I'm a... My tripod setup right now, I'm running a uh, RS TVC 33 legs, a BH-55 ball head, and uh, everything I've run, this is this is the best, in my opinion, that you can possibly run. Uh, the Fizal 3372 legs are great, too, for the money, probably the best bang for the buck. Uh, you know... That BH-55 solid. I mean, it's whether you're shooting runners or a sitting coyote at 400 yards, it's solid. I don't I don't know how you can go wrong with that. And uh, your gun's only as accurate as what's holding it. You know, I see a lot of guys have a $3,000 rifle and a $25 <laughs> Amazon set of legs. And it's right. just like, golly. But that's what I run on, a, on tripods. Uh, my rifle, I'm running a... DNA 243, 22-inch proof research barrel, uh, 1 in 10 twist. Super good gun. I've not had a bit of trouble out of it. It's, it's a tack driver. It shoots well. Uh, probably going to have Sean build me a 20-inch this summer, just, just for a little bit shorter with the suppressor. And uh, call-wise, I've... Uh, I'm still running a CS24C from uh, Tory MFK edition. Hadn't had any trouble with it. Uh, probably will switch to an X24 this summer also, but uh, haven't haven't received it yet. Cool. As far as uh, thermal wise, I'm running a Mark 360 from Cameron, and in my opinion, that's that's the best scope on the market. Uh, the halo gets a lot of love. A lot of people are liking it right now. I just like the turrets on the 60. It seems like it's a little little bit easier, quicker to zoom in and out. And I'm running a reap and a patrol for my scanners. I switch back and forth depending on the terrain and magnification on them. Gotcha. So, 
Yeah, I, it's hard to kind of hard to compete with the the Trigicon. I, I run an Envision Halo, and uh, uh-huh. I know some guys that run Trigicon have kind of looked through it and say, "Man, that that uh, that looks pretty close." And the price tag, oh is yeah, a little, little bit different. So it, uh, they're yeah. both, I think they're both kind of neck and neck there. And Envision's really starting to get some traction in the. They're really starting to get some traction in the, the market, for being a, you know for being newer into it for sure man they they hit a home run with the halo in my opinion I, that's that's a that's a great optic absolutely um so if somebody i know a lot of people scan with their gun some people scan with a separate scanner what's your feelings on if if you can only afford one good thermal would you scan with your rifle or would you buy a good scanner and then have something, uh, you know, that doesn't have the range on your gun. Does that make sense? I guess if you had to pick, if you had to pick one or the other, I know everybody has a personal preference. I have a preference of what I, I would suggest, but that's cause I scan with my gun. Now I've got a really good scanner right. too. And right. it stays in the truck. <laughs> like I, I just don't get the, the knack of, of you i just don't have a preference of using it but what's your preference on if because when i get people asking about thermals they'll say well man i I can i can get one good one but you know budget wise i I just can't spring for two high end thermals so what do you suggest there you know you can look at it two ways me personally i would rather have a good scope uh on the other hand you spend 75 80 percent of your time looking through your scanner you just want to catch movement, go to your scope. Right. But do you want to look through? You want to look through a mediocre scanner all night, you know, or scan through a good scope. It's just you can go either way, man. I, you can't hit what you can't see. Right. Yeah. So if you, if you have a cheap scope, you know, there's that point. But then again, you're going to be looking through a scanner half the night or scanning with it. So it can go either way. I would probably rather uh, I would rather have a good scope. Yeah. If I could only afford one. I agree. I'm the same way. I just didn't want to steer. I didn't want to steer the conversation that way before you answered. But yeah, I, yeah. Just last night I was out. I, I have the, uh, the Helion 2 XP 50 for a scanner. Uh huh. And of course I run a Halo LR on my gun. And I had a buddy out with me that does a lot of trapping. And he was on the scanner and I, at about 350 yards, I literally just saw a pair of ears over the rise. And I was trying mm-hmm. to, I was trying to tell Dave, I said, there's, there's one poking his head over. And with two and a half times base magnification, he just, he wasn't able to see it really well with the scanner. He thought it was a rabbit or, you know, it, it's just hard to make right. out. And th- then the ears kind of turned into the top of a head. As I kept calling, the head poked up and eventually I got him to, to come out and, you know, he sat down and he wouldn't commit to the call, but he sat down and poked a hole in him. And it, it was kind of funny. It was, he had a snare mark on his leg and my buddy traps about three quarters of a mile away. And I'm pretty sure it's one that escaped his trap. And then I got it yeah. last night with him. So we decided to split it. But, uh, that, that was a case of, he wouldn't have seen, you know, it's a good scanner, but he wouldn't have seen it or I wouldn't have seen it with just the scanner. But the fact I was using a higher sure. end optic on my gun I was literally able to see a pair of ears over the rise and work yep. that in 
and both of us would have totally missed it with a scanner. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I see both sides of it. I was just curious what your feelings were on it. Yeah, that's me. That's that's kind of where I'm at on it. I I would rather have a good scope, like you said. Yeah. I don't have a problem scanning with my scope. You know, I a lot of times I take people that don't have them. You know, like you giving my give them my scanner or whatever, and mm-hmm. and, and I scan with my gun a lot. A lot of people don't like it, but it don't seem to bother me that well, that bad. Yeah. I think as long as you're in open area, so everybody has their preferences. Um, you know, I know we're down south, like where Tori is and stuff, it, you know, it can be a little bit tighter areas. And my personal preference is I like a big, wide open field where they, where I have to call them out. Yeah. And, and there's enough of a buffer that when I'm scanning with my gun, if I scan over an area and I don't come back to that area for 20, 30 seconds, they've still had plenty of ground to cover and I'm not, I'm not going to miss something. So I think right. the, the guys that have room, I think the only limitation with the gun is you can only scan so fast yeah, that's <laughs> or, you, true. or you're going to yeah. get dizzy running in a circle. Yeah. So right. with the scanner, I know, um, and, and I scan different based on the sound. You probably do too. If I'm running a really aggressive sound, you got to move fast. Mm-hmm. Where if you're running right. in stress, you can, you know, run a little slower. So, and that kind of brings up another point of knowing your equipment, uh, practicing with your equipment and just knowing the, the capabilities and limitations of it. Can you kind of touch on, on that? Um, how, how much, you know, as much as you hunt, do you, do you ever practice with your stuff? I mean, do you do range time and checking zeros or like as far yeah. as, uh, yeah, we, uh, your equipment. We shoot quite a bit. Uh, I've got a range at my house. I can I can shoot uh, right at 400 yards, so we practice out to 400 quite a bit. And, you know, you shoot coyotes out still at 400, it makes those 200-yard shots pretty much chip shots. So it, right. it, it makes a big difference to know, you know, where your gun's shooting, how high you need to hold, uh, you know, what your reticle is at that zoom at that distance. Yep. Uh, right. it, it makes a big difference know, knowing what you can do and what your gun can do and feeling confident because you don't want to be the guy during a tournament and they say you want to take the shot. Yeah, miss, <laughs> miss the shots. You know, you don't, right. you don't want that guy. Yeah. And I assume you guys like chrono your stuff and then check your, check your, your dope and everything. Have you noticed much difference in what, what a what an app says your dope will be on paper or on a screen versus what it shoots on paper <clears throat> yeah on daytime stuff on the thermal stuff i have never found anything to be accurate as far as any of your crosshairs uh you know being able to dope them in any way All right uh you know i've talked about it with several guys and it's pretty much one of those things you just kind of got to shoot your crosshair at that distance and maybe go measure your target and see what you're dropping. Right. Uh, it's kind of, the thermal's kind of tough in my opinion, as far as any dope goes, unless you're running a, a high on clip on or something, you know? Yeah. I wonder why they haven't come out with, with a reticle that, that, you know, you can, can use for that. That would be a good question for Cameron. I know he's talked to several people about that. Uh, and, and I don't really know. I don't know if it has to do with the the way the thermal magnifies. I, I don't really know. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Well, when we get, uh, we've got him coming up for an episode. And, uh, so we'll, we'll get into that when, uh, when we get to his episode. So <clears throat> back to the, the tournaments in your land, kind of walk us through setting up, um, how, how you set up for stands, what you look for in land, what, what makes a certain spot appeal to you more than others. And when you have a spot, uh, walk us through kind of your, what you're considering and set up. You know, we want somewhere that's easy to get in. Uh, you're not going to have to walk real far from the truck and you want places close together. You, you want to be able to get in and get out and get to the next spot as soon as possible. Cause the time you're in the truck, you know, you just, that that's time wasted. Right. Uh, we, we try to, we try to buy, get big boundaries of land, plan out your stands. You know, we run through a couple of days before the Eastern, uh, we pretty much had plan A, B and C depending on what the wind was on where we was going to start, what we was going to do. And we made a couple mock runs just two or three nights before, you know, okay, we're going to park here. We're going to set up here. We're going to call here. Okay. Just, just so when you get there, you're not scratching your head thinking, okay, where do you want to set up? Well, it don't matter. Well, I want to go here. And then you're arguing over it. You know, you, we do that two or three days before and get that out of the way. So, right. So, so when you did your mock run, <clears throat> you did that during daytime though. So you could see the grade and all that kind of stuff. We did. We did. And okay. and that plays a big role too. You know, the rolling draws and, and, and stuff you get there, you think you can see, and then bam, a coyote pops up 30 yards. You're like, how'd he get there? Well, there's a, there's a draw you didn't know was there. So yeah, it pays to go and, and, and know where you're hunting for sure. And then you use a <clears throat> mapping program or what kind of technology do you use to keep track of all this? We, we all run Onyx, Onyx maps. Okay. Super handy, super yeah. handy. Yeah, and a, a lot seems like a lot you can, a lot you can do with that and and document with it. Uh huh. So um, so you, you pretty much have your <clears throat> your plan and a schedule and everything before the tournament even starts. Right. Okay. What about sounds? How do you determine what you're going to use at that time? You know, it really just depends on that time of year, uh, what the coyotes are doing uh, in their life schedule. And even then, you have to go out and, and, and find it. It's it's kind of like bass fishing. You know, the guys that figure out what the bass are biting on first usually ends up winning the damn tournament. So you've got to throw different stuff to figure out what they're liking and what they're coming to. And once you figure that out, just roll with it till it don't work anymore and then try something else. So the, so the areas you're hunting, you're obviously not, you're obviously not hunting before the tournament, but do you have, I guess my question is, do you do anything to get an idea of what sounds are working leading up to the tournament? In, in a yeah, similar we hunt, area? Or? Uh, yeah, we, we hunt, uh, you know, ground in the in the same county that, that may not be the tournament loop, you know. It may be 20 minutes out of the way. And uh, like I said, during our mock runs, we went down a couple of days early this year and, and hunted, you know, 
not what we was hunting during the tournament, but other stuff just to get a feel for what was working and what they was coming to. So, and then once you find that sound, you 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 pretty much feel that it's it's good for the the geographic area you're running. So so you think sounds are more seasonal? Um, they don't change with you know. Say you've got something four or five counties across that your sounds are not aren't going to change from you know like where I'm at. I I hunt in Ohio and and Indiana. So mm-hmm. um, you pretty much feel that whatever sounds are working in Dayton, Ohio, if I drive an hour and a half west to here, it's going to be a similar, or I could at least try a similar sound with some success. I would say the scenarios more so than the sounds, you know, uh, sounds, yes, but the scenario you're going to play, you know, whether that's rabbit distress pup distress fight sounds or you know vocals pup distress fight sound you know however you do it usually if it's working it's working if it's not it's not so do you uh, so do you run the same set you gotta, i mean do you have a sequence a lot, yeah okay yeah yeah we uh i mean <laughs> we pretty much run other than diaphragms four sounds during the eastern we run four sounds. It's what put the pile in the truck. Okay. In the same sequence. You know, I'm not asking what specific right. sounds, just it's the same sequence yep. each time. Yep. Neat. Okay. You know, you, you may, you may have a scenario that's different. You know, you may, you may pull up and walk out and have one mouse. And well, of course you're not going to just, you know, <laughs> go to throwing something crazy that you played yeah. on the last stand. But for the most part, yeah, the same, same sequence, same sounds. As long as it's working, go with it. Yep. And that kind of goes back to your time, right? Because that, is that the way you hunt? If you're not hunting a tournament, are you still hunting that same way? No, not really. Okay. Uh, you, you know, if, if we're not tournament hunting, you know, we may spend 30 minutes on stand. And it may just be learning what they're doing. Or, or watching what they're doing, you know, how they're reacting. Uh, that, that's one thing I tell guys with thermal, guys that are buying thermal. I said, you're getting ready to learn a lot because right. you get to see how the coyote reacts when you would never know it. You know, you, you would never know they're there. The light guys, especially, you pick up thermal and you're like, damn, I didn't see him out there. I didn't know how he was responding to this. So it's just a learning it's yeah. just learning. Every time you go, you learn something. Well, that's the cool thing, like you said, about the thermal. It gives you the opportunity to to see what their reactions are. I think I, I was telling people in a previous episode that I've got a turf farm that is full of fox. Now, I understand fox, mm-hmm. you know, act completely different than coyotes. But there's times that, and, and the farmer really isn't that concerned with, they're not hurting anything out there. So, there's times I'll go out there to that sod field and I'll call and I'll just play with the Fox for 45 minutes and see what, what I do that causes them to bust me. And I've learned Mm -hmm. more from playing with those Fox about coyotes. I mean, just little things like, uh, I used to not run a, a, an eyepiece on my thermal. It just, I didn't like it. It caused it to fog up, you know? Well, I, I was having stuff bust me, you know, at a certain, at a certain distance. 
come to find out, I'm, I'm sure it's because they were seeing the reflection on my face. So I went the to a, yeah. yeah. So I went to an eyepiece and it has changed things drastically. And I know all these little things don't make that drastic of a change, but when you start stacking them up on top of each other, you know, I, I have electrical tape over my zipper tabs on my pants so they don't hit my tripod and make a little <laughs> bit of noise. You know, that, that sure. one little thing doesn't make much of a difference. But the, the tape over my zipper tabs plus the eyepiece plus all those things you add up, I think, give me an edge over maybe the people that, that don't do that. But that's, right. that's what I think that thermal, there's so much to learn from it because you can watch. I mean – I mean, I've made every mistake there is in calling. Like there's so many times I've got a coyote coming in, he's committed to the call and all I would have to do is wait. And my dumb ass throws another sound on and all of a sudden he's headed the other way. Right. And I leave that stand. I'm the one that's educated and I know not to make that mistake <laughs> again. So yeah, right. that kind of, kind of goes back to your, uh, you're right. That That's a good statement of when you get a thermal, you're, you're in for an education because it uh, it allows you to see all the mistakes you make. Yeah, yeah, it helps, man. I mean, if you, it, you learn something on every stand, and, and the stands the coyote runs in in thirty seconds and you kill him, that's the ones you don't learn anything on. Right. You know, yeah. like you said, the the ones that burn you, that's the ones that, that teach you the lesson. So, yeah. so and that that kind of goes to my next point of uh, you if you can call in all the coyotes you want, but if you're not capable of putting a hole in them, it doesn't do a whole lot of good, right? And that's, that's exactly right. You know, that, that kind of goes back to the, the good gear and the practice and, and your partners and knowing what you're going to do because you can call in 40 a night, but if, if you don't kill them, you might as well not even win, you know? Right. So it, it, it I think – I'm ah, going back. I should have. I should have thought about this before. I think we called in. Uh, we killed 24 coyotes in the eastern. We shot 27. We brought we brought 24 and shot 27. I believe. I think we lost three uh, that weekend. And uh, the classic, we killed 30, and I think we let maybe two go all weekend. So. We was we was pretty spot on those two weekends, and that's what it takes, man. I mean, you let that one get away, and that's the difference in winning and losing, you know. Right. Yeah. So when you lost them, couldn't find them, or like spun them and they run off. We lost one in the high weeds, and uh, we called a pair in. Curtis shot him with the six creed. He hit the ground. His mate ran over there. I shot him with the two forty three. He hit the ground. Curtis went to get the drag. Chris was changing his batteries, and I went to get the truck. We got back, and the coyote was gone. And that just don't <laughs> happen with a six Creed and a two forty three. Right. Yeah. So uh, I I told him right then. I said, guys, it's not meant to be. It's not meant for us to win this damn tournament. And uh, <laughs> luckily, luckily it worked. But yeah, yeah, that's a hard hit though to to, to lose two in the same same stand. Yeah. And the other one we lost in the high grass, you know, that goes back to your time. Do you spend 30, right. 45 minutes looking for this coyote that you know's dead, or do you go make two more sets? Right. And, yeah. uh, you know. And how much is the coyote it's, worth? It's, not in, obviously, money, but how much is it worth in time? 
Like sure. Could yeah. So I, I guess the amount of time it's gonna take you to get another coyote, that's the time minus a couple minutes, what you'd want to spend looking for the previous one, right? I mean right. at some point you yeah. gotta you gotta cut anchor and just move on. Yep. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So kind of in closing and wrapping up here, what what kind of overall would you tell is obviously you've got this down pat you're very successful at tournaments and overall successful in in predator hunting what would you tell somebody that has not competed in a tournament before and they they want to get in and they want to start they want to start tournament hunting um as far as maybe can you give some tips on on what to do maybe what type of tournament i i know I, i'd have some, kind of some suggestions on what type of tournament to try first um, you know, some are a little more structured and better than others. And I know if you pick the wrong, Definitely. you pick the wrong tournament, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd suggest starting with something like the Eastern, but to use that as an example, you know, Jason puts a ton of work in that tournament. If you go back and listen to, to the interview I did with Jason, we, we touch on it a little bit. There's a ton of work in that there. It's really backed by sponsors. It's definitely worth your time. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, anything with competition, there's going to be people trying to cheat. That's just, you know, right. a, a nature of the beast. And some tournaments are able to make it much more fair than others. Can you kind of touch on what kind of tournament to pick? I guess what I'm getting at is pick one that you're not going to get discouraged at. And you're not going to show sure. up with, yeah. uh, you know, somebody that bent the rules and it, it just kind of kicks your pride. Uh, what would you suggest yep. to somebody that wants to get in into it and get started? You, you know, the Eastern second to none, in my opinion. I mean, Jason does a, him and JT do a phenomenal job. Uh, it's probably as fair and well run as anything. And it don't matter if you kill two or 20, you're, you're getting a paycheck and your name's going for some cool prizes. So I would highly suggest one of those, uh, you know, not only hunting it and the prizes, but just getting to talk to, some of the best in the in the united states are there you know absolutely it's a great time the the most guys start out with like the tournament or the uh, parking lot tournaments which that's what a lot have mm -hmm. but you have a lot of like you said you know whatever goes in them uh it's a good way to get your foot in the door but i think the fairest is probably the bigger ones yeah, you know like the classic or like jason's and you know most guys at that level to me are, are not wouldn't risk cheating i mean if you if you risk cheating at the eastern you would you'd be crazy because your your name is done if you got caught you know right. so and, and those for, those guys probably go there and and talk to several people and would learn more by standing around talking and, and just watching than probably some of the little tournaments absolutely and for people that don't that don't understand or don't know um what Colt's talking about with the Eastern that kind of keeps things honest is uh, this year they implemented an app that you register your kills through the app. Um, you take a, a you know a short video of the dog, you'd shake it to show that it's limp, that it's fresh. Um, it geotags where you're at to make sure you're within the boundaries, all that type of thing. So that stuff really helps. Um, and then Colt, can you kind of explain you said everybody gets paid. So obviously that applies to a, a bounty hunt 
can you kind of explain how a bounty works and because not all tournaments are, are bounty hunts, right? Yeah, yeah, most of them, you know, is, is winner take all or first or second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason's got his set up where a hundred percent of the entry fee money this year went to the bounty, and I think don't hold me to it, but it was like sixty-eight bucks a coyote, I believe. Yeah. So every coyote that you brought in, you know, was worth sixty-eight bucks. So you know, you kill a handful of coyotes, it's going to pay your gas anyways just to come. Not not to mention the prizes, but. Uh, most of the small tournaments don't have that. As a matter of fact, I don't know any of them that have that other than the Eastern. Yeah. Uh, but but the bounty money is great for getting people. The guys that know they can't kill 20 coyotes in a weekend, you know, it, it's still fun for them because they have stuff. They're going to get paid and have an opportunity to win stuff too. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's what I was trying to get at. If you can find one that has a bounty, um, like you said, the bounty is – Whatever, whatever they determine to use for the money for the bounty, whether it's the entry or, you know, a sponsor donates it, it's that amount of money divided by the amount of coyotes killed, and that's what each one's worth. So if you can find, uh, if you're looking at doing one, you know, if you, if you can find a tournament that has a bounty, even like you said, even if you drag in a couple, your 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 gas money's covered. Um, yeah, sure. You're, and those you know, are, those are usually ones that are a little more structured, I think, and a little more established as well right and even the you know the big dog and small dog they was three thousand dollar rifles this year so you kill one big coyote you had a you know option to win a three thousand dollar rifle for shooting one coyote right absolutely and i don't think there's any other tournaments at least that i know of that that have the prizes the eastern does so um don't expect uh free rifles from your local parking lot tournament um, <laughs> that's definitely kind of you know on a different level but there's nothing wrong with the parking lot tournaments either as long as it's uh i think as long as it's something that's gone on for a couple years and they've kind of figured out the the quirks and it's somewhat fair um and and there's everything in the spectrum out there we've got a couple local tournaments around here that are very well put together very well run and we've got some that places do as a fundraiser and Man, it looks like a damn free-for-all. You can trap, use dogs, yeah. hit them with your car, yeah. whatever you want. And, you know, kudos to them for raising money. Or you know, I guess any anything's killing coyotes, good. But I wouldn't suggest that for your first tournament because it. I think uh, – I know first tournament I did, I was kind of nervous. And I didn't want to be the guy that only showed up with two or three coyotes. And first tournament I showed up with two or three coyotes. But I wasn't embarrassed. I, right. You know, it. I happened to pick a decent tournament, and uh, it was one of those things that that uh, I felt like I left there with a lot of knowledge and got to know some people, and it was a good experience. So I, I guess my point with it was is just if you you know your tips to try to help people have a good experience with their first tournament. Yeah, yeah, that that's the key too. I mean, you everything you nothing you do, you want to have a bad experience, and and going in and getting beat by somebody cheating or something like that would definitely not be yeah. not be good so but they are fun i mean it's a great time it, the eastern is probably my favorite weekend out of the year just because of getting to talk with everybody and, and meet guys that i'm friends with on facebook that i don't get to see but once a year you know so absolutely it's a great time yeah and like this year it was uh <clears throat> you know it, it was held inside like an arena type 
thing, you know, so you, you're not standing out in the, out in the freezing cold. And I think Jason said he's going to try to get the same venue next year. So it'll, uh, it, it's a, it's a neat yeah. atmosphere just because it's in January and bad weather doesn't mean you're going to be standing outside freezing. Like it's just a, it's a neat thing. So is there, Cole, is there anything else uh, just to kind of wrap things up that, that you want to pass on to people looking at starting trying a tournament? Man, not really. Just grab a couple buddies and go try it. Get out That's there. All and, I know to do. Get out there and yep. give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And probably don't have real high expectations of your first one. I I tell people right. just go go do it. Um, I I I play in in powerlifting a little bit, and I was the same way. I was so nervous doing my first my first uh, meet, and my trainer told me he's like, "Don't even worry about what you do. Just get the first one sure. under your belt." Don't have any expectations yep. and try to be competitive on your second one. And on your second one, right. be a little Look. more competitive on your third one. And and that worked for me. I just showed up to my first meet yeah. like nervous and shaken and and uh and now I feel more experienced for it. So it's kind of the same thing with tournaments. Just get out there and try one. Don't have any expectations except to have fun. And yep. I think it'll it'll uh get you towards being a little competitive with the more you try sure yeah that's what it's all about man getting out with your buddies and having fun absolutely all right buddy well cole i really appreciate it um for the people that uh want to follow your stuff uh they can follow follow you on facebook there's uh thermal optics i know post a lot of your stuff and mfk so follow those uh, you got any other stuff on social media that that you post stuff on no, just uh, Facebook, Instagram, and mfkgamecalls.com, thermooptics.plus.com, and uh, DNA rifle systems, man. Great. One uh, one quick thing on MFK. Um, this is being recorded middle of April. Um, they just released some really good videos on coyote behavior. Uh, like right now is denning season. They released a cool video on uh, denning and all that. So anybody that hasn't gone to YouTube and followed the MFK page, you, I would highly suggest, um, doing it. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're trying to collect the information you need to be more successful. I'm telling you, if you go to MFK and follow their YouTube page and watch those videos that they're putting out, it's going to be just as valuable that uh, they've put a lot of time in over a long window of collecting the video and the data that's in those. Um, And I'm just saying for personal experience, we're not sponsored by MFK or I have no affiliation to them other than being friends with the guys, but that information is gold. And uh, so I I highly suggest going over there and following their YouTube page. But Colt, I really, yeah, good. I was just going to say, Tori has, uh, he's, it's phenomenal what he's done and what the stuff he's got coming out, uh, in the next couple of weeks, months is, is, is going to help tremendously. So I would, I would highly suggest checking them out. Absolutely. Well, Cole, I really appreciate it, buddy. We're, uh, running out of time here. We're going to wrap it up, but I appreciate your time, all your information. And I'm sure that people that are going to try some tournaments, you've helped them out immensely. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch.